This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. If you feel as though your Christianity really is lacking traction, if you feel as though you're in a place where you're kind of sitting there saying, God, you know, I know you're real and I believe you're real and I'm looking for you to do some stuff in my life, but it just isn't happening right now. If you find yourself praying for things and looking for a move of the Spirit in your life, if you find yourself in the Word, studying, trying to find those things, but no matter what happens, you kind of feel as though you're trading water. You've been stuck in the same place for a period of time. I want to speak to you this morning. This this message is very much for you. and. If you've got great traction, you'll get even better traction if you hear this, because I can tell you the Holy Spirit will use some aspect of it to, to affect you. Um, let's start off and let's read John chapter 14, um, verses 16 and 17. And it says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I want to speak this morning and I want to focus very heavily on the Holy Spirit and why the Holy Spirit is so important and getting an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, what his role is in our life, how we partner with him and what he's doing. One of the things that's really important for us to understand is it's in the spirit that God is who he is. It's in the spirit that God is who he is. It's in the spirit that God has his personality and his, and his identity. The Holy Spirit is the principle by which the personality of the Father and the Son are rooted and have consciousness. I know that sounds very funny. Let me explain what I mean by that. The fact of the matter is this. Everybody is a person. You are somebody. You are unique. You are different. You have individuality to you. You have your own, you have personality to you. You have your own sense of consciousness. What that means is, who am I? How am I aware of who I am? How am I aware of what I'm capable of? How am I aware of what I like and what I don't like? It's my sense of awareness of self. God is very aware of himself as well. If you read through the Bible, what you'll find is God has opinions about everything. If you look at God's interactions with people and with man and with, with civilizations through the history, what you'll find is God has opinions. He has ideas. God is very real in the context that you can touch his heart. He feels, he responds, he is moved with compassion. There's times where he's moved to anger. God is all of these things. He's very much alive. His individuality in terms of who he is, is wrapped up in the spirit. It becomes, let me tell you why it becomes important, because it becomes the catalyst by which we begin to step into what God's plan is for our life. So when God created Adam, the thir first thing that he did is he said, you know what? My plan for Adam is that you will be born in my likeness to reflect my image. How did he decide to make that a reality? He took Adam and he breathed into him the breath of 
life. When it talks about the breath of life, what it's saying is he breathed into him the spirit of God. The spirit of God on the inside of him was the essence and the personality of who God was. As Adam lived from the life that was on the inside of him, it was the life on the inside of him that was guiding and directing and informing and illuminating to Adam all the time who he was in Christ, in the Father. He was discovering all the time who he was in the image of God, but it was the responsibility of the spirit on the inside of him to guide him, to lead him into those spaces. When Jesus was born, Jesus was conceived of the spirit. He had the spirit of God on the inside of him. And as Jesus grew, what ended up happening is the spirit on the inside of him was the spirit what was of the father, the very essence of his being and what he was all about. And as Jesus grew, the spirit on the inside of him was informing him all the time, was illuminating to Jesus. This is who you are. This is what you're about. These are moments of discovery. It was the spirit's role to do that in his life. And so when Jesus reached the point where he had been baptized and the Holy Spirit had come upon him, what was the first thing he did? He walked into the temple, and what did he say? The Holy Spirit is upon me, 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 because he has anointed me. What is he saying? I've spent 30 years discovering who I am. I've spent 30 years with the Spirit of God on the inside of me, and through that time, he's been illuminating me and introducing me to who the Father was. And so I stand before you today as a person who has been formed in the image of who he's created me to be. I stand in front of you as somebody who can represent the Father to you, because the Spirit's work was active on the inside of him, changing him, informing him, and introducing him to the fullness of his identity. That's what the spirit is. And so it becomes important for us because at a practical level, as the spirit being the principle of life for the father, he is the principle and wants to be the principle of life for you. So when the father says that you get born again and the spirit comes and dwells on the inside of you, what he's saying is the very essence of my being, the very part of my personality, who I am is coming to take a residence on the inside of you. You don't have some airy fairy little bit of God, some little bit of spirit stuff on the inside of you. You have the very person of who the father is dwelling on the inside of you. He is alive. The person on the inside of you is the person who has feelings, who has thoughts, who has ideas, who has emotions, who is responsive to who you are. You have the essence of God living on the inside of you. The reason that he's on the inside of you is the same reason that he is or was in Adam. The same reason that he was in Jesus. It's the same reason why he's in you. He's come here to introduce you to who you are. He's come here with the purpose to sit and say, I am and I, rep I represent the very essence of who the Father is. And my job and my purpose inside of here is to introduce you to the fullness of who you are in Christ. He's doing something on the inside of us. He's working on the inside of us, touching us and changing us, informing us. What he's doing is he's sitting saying, I'm looking to be the principle of your life. I'm wanting to be the root of your personality. Don't go outside of yourself. Don't go into the world. Don't go to other places to discover who you are. If you really want to know who you are, formed in the image of God so that you can reflect his likeness, come to me. He's talking about the fact that he is to be the life of your being, of your consciousness. 
Anytime I sit and I begin to think about, well, who am I in that context? What would I look like in that context? What would I be like if I was to behave in the image of God in that context? You've just discovered the purpose of the Spirit. He's there to introduce you to the Father. He's there to take the essence of what the Father is all about and introduce it to you so that we can be conformed to his image. So he speaks about that and he talks about that. And then there's something quite interesting here. There are a couple of points that I really want to look at. The first point is this. He says, you will know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. He will be in you. He will be in you is the most wonderful thing because what Jesus did, and the crowning work of Jesus was he will be in you. He will be in you. Up until that point, the very essence and the the spirit of God could never come and dwell inside. In the Old Testament, it was always outside of man. But the crowning work of what Jesus did because of his death and his resurrection is he created a space for the very life of God to come and live on the inside of us. He's dwelling inside of you. The thing about it is, he's not only living on the inside of us, but we're starting to discover the reason that we were created. We were created for relationship with the essence of God on the inside of us. We were created to live in that space. We were created to interact with him. We were created to be defined by him. It is a living dynamic space. It is something that we need to be overtly aware of and live from that because it has meaningful implications for our life. I think all too often, we, we are aware of the fact that we have the, the, the life of God on the inside of us. And it's a great concept, but we don't live with it affecting and influencing us every single day. If people talk about the fact that you're born again and God lives in there, we say that's right and we're very thankful for it. But the question I have for you is this, to what degree does it actually influence your day-to-day activity? He will be in you. The amazing thing is this, there is a mystery to the fact that the God of the universe, the God that created everything, the God who created heaven and earth, the the, the simple magnitude of who he is, sits and says, I love you so much that I actually want to come and inhabit your being. I want to be a part of your nature. I want to be a part of your nature. If you have a look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27, It says, to them, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know what he's saying? He's saying there is a mystery to the fact that the magnitude of who God is loves you so very much that he wants to take the essence of his being and he wants to wrap himself in your flesh. He wants to be a part of your world. He wants to be a part of your, the fundamental part of your being. And as he moves into that space, what ends up happening is we're reminded of what happened to Mary. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you and you shall conceive life and you shall give birth to a son and you shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. 
The whole purpose of the Spirit being on the inside of us is because he's wanting to take the things of God and he's wanting to introduce them to us in the flesh. He's taking us back as a remembrance to what it means to be Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. He's in your body to take the fullness of who he is. And ultimately what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to live his life through you so that once again, Emmanuel can be with us, God with us in the flesh. He's wanting to do it in our bodies. There is something far greater to our lives than we sometimes realize because God has a plan and a purpose for your life. But the thing is, I've begun to realize the fact that unless we're able to understand what he's doing and we're able to partner with him, we don't position ourselves in a way that we're equipped to handle the future that he's calling us into. Are you with me? Okay. If I if I if, if I lose you suddenly, just say, put your hand up and say, go back. You, I, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. He's wanting to do, he, so he's wanting to do something in you. God wants to be a part of your everyday life and affect you in ways so that you will realize. And every single day when you go to bed, you should say, "My life was touched by God." Amen. Every single day. And I know that sounds really nice as an idea, but I'm going to show you practically how it actually was the intention of God. We're to live in the garden. We're to live with him in every single day, in every experience, and become overtly aware of that. It speaks about the fact that the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth will come. Now, truth is an interesting word in that context, because when you have a look at truth, God uses truth in a higher dimension than we do. And so when we're talking about truth, um, John chapter 1 and verse 14 speaks about Jesus as full of grace and truth. So it's giving us an idea and it's starting to illuminate to us and, and give us an understanding as to what this truth is all about. But when it speaks about Jesus full of grace and truth, it goes on and in verse 17 it speaks about the law was given to Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. It's a little bit of a roundabout way, but I, I'm getting somewhere to stick with me. The point of it is this. We think of truth as opposed to what is true versus what is false. But the thing about it is God's not using it in that context. What he's talking about is this. If you have a look at the law that was given to Moses, it was as true as the gospel which Jesus brought. Both of them came from God. One wasn't true and one wasn't false. They were both true. What he's talking about in truth is he's sitting saying, when the word was given without the spirit, what ended up happening is it became the law. And so I was aware of the law. I knew what the law was. I understood the law because the law spoke everything as to what God was. It was true. The problem with it is it never had life. It was when Jesus came that everything that I was looking for was, became a manifestation. When Jesus came, all of a sudden, the, the written word took on life and dwelt among us. It was the living word. Jesus was the, the personification, the living representation of the word. That's what he was. What it's talking about is truth is really the life given to the word. So it takes on a living and dynamic form in the way that we live the way that we experience it. Jesus was the ultimate representation of that. So when it talks about truth, what it's talking about, it's talking about our ability to possess the life of Christ. So when it talks about the spirit of truth on the inside of us, what it's saying is I'm going to give you somebody and I'm going to give you a person that is going to be with you and will never leave you. And the person that is coming to you is a spirit in possession of the life of Christ. Christ. 
And what he's going to do is he's going to take of those things and he's going to impart it to you. He's going to take the things. And the point is, he's not here to give you the written word. He's here to give you the living word. He's not here to introduce you to the law. He's here to introduce you to truth. He's introduced you to, he's here to introduce you to life. If you have a look, it's quite interesting, but the word in the Trinity, the word and the power, Jesus and the spirit are always wrapped up in one another and are one in the father. You can't separate the word and the spirit. Uh, the word and the power. You can't separate Jesus and the spirit. They're one. The point of it is this. God's design was always that the word and the spirit go together. And anytime we separate them, we're not going to end up with what his intention was. And we have a tendency to do that. So very often what we do is we have people and the most common mistake is to have the word without the spirit. So when you have the word without the spirit, what you end up with is the law. And so it's true. There's nothing wrong with it. It's right. The problem with it is you can't give it life. The problem with it, it tells me all of these things about God. It expresses to me what his desire is for me. It gives me an idea of what his personality is like. It gives me an understanding as to his intention for my life. And although I read all of these things and I might get so excited about them, the fact of the matter is they're just words on a page. Why? Because I've got the word without the spirit. And then you have the other mistake where you have people who just want to celebrate the spirit, but they don't have the word. And when you celebrate the word, the spirit without the word, you always run the risk of falling into error because the word gives you direction. The whole purpose of it is this, the word and the spirit operating together is how God is going to make an influence and an impact in your life. And what he's wanting to do in that space is to use both of those different elements to, to achieve his goal. So I want you to read two scriptures. John chapter 6, verse 63 says, It's the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. I want you to take note of two things here. Number one, spirit, and secondly, words. It's the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. And then he starts to speak about words. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter or the word, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So there are a couple of things that I want to have a look at in these verses. The first one is this. It says, the spirit gives life. The spirit gives life. The spirit gives life is probably the best definition we have of what the spirit is. The spirit is the life-giving principle of the Trinity. That's what he does. And the thing is, it also not only speaks about who he is, but it speaks about his work in us. His work in us is to be a life-giving principle principle. Uh, 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 he is the life-giving principle within us. That's what he does. He gives life to things. So in essence, what he's saying is, I become a fundamental part to taking the word of God and to igniting the truth of that in your life. We cannot separate him from that. What's so important about it is this. The spirit gives life. The spirit is alive on the inside of me. 
One thing I want you to be aware of is this. That is the center from which God works. Anytime you want to connect with God, that's where you go. God is going to work from the spirit who gives life on the inside of you. Sometimes we don't always recognize that. So what we do is we want to run out and we want to try and find God in different situations. And we think that if I can just pray for God out there, something's going to happen out here. And if I can just, you know, I'm looking for God in all these different places. If you're looking for God, he's inside you. He never put himself on the inside of you so that you can find him elsewhere. He's very much a part of that. And so anything that you're going through today, any situation that you're facing, anytime you're looking for relationship, anytime you're looking for an opportunity to connect with God, that's where you're going to find him because he operates from that place. That is the center from which God is going to work. It's the center of operations of God in your life. The spirit gives life on the inside of you. The thing about it is this. Understand this, the reason that it becomes so valuable to us is because the indwelling spirit becomes the union between the vine and the branch. We hear a lot about the vine and the branch and we understand everything that goes with the vine and the branch and the, 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 the need for us to view the vine as the source of our life. But we don't always know how to connect with it. It's like we agree with it. We love the fact that the vine provides everything we need. We love the fact that we shouldn't be doing anything of ourselves, but we need to connect with the vine. What I'm saying to you is this. If you get connected with the spirit on the inside of you, that is a connection point between the vine and you, the branch. So when I begin to build a relationship that is meaningful with the Holy Spirit, what ends up happening is what I'm doing is I'm opening that and I'm grafting myself into that place so that I can allow the vine and the life that's in the vine to begin to flow into me and affect and change who I am. So he gives us a little bit of information about the Spirit. But then Jesus goes on and he's giving us two points that he wants to make about the Word. The first point that he wants to make is this. My words are spirit and they are life. My words are spirit and they are life. What's consequential about that is this. What he's saying to us is, my words are here for life, not for understanding. We don't always think that. We think God's word is here for understanding. What he's saying is, my words are here for life. You can understand how pregnancy works. You can understand how babies are made. You can understand how babies grow. You can understand life in the womb. But the fact of the matter is, nobody's ever conceived as a result of understanding. It's the same with God. We want to understand everything of God. And although you can understand it and there's nothing wrong with the understanding, as long as you come to the, the reality and the truth of the fact that you can never birth life from your understanding. The spirit gives life. The spirit gives life. My words are life. What it's saying is there is within my words, view my words as seed. And within the seed is the very life of that word. That life is dwelling inside there. That life is looking for the opportunity to come out. That life is looking for the opportunity to germinate. Because when it does, what happens is the very life that's on the inside there begins to come out and begins to grow inside of who we are. My words are spirit and they are life. 
there is life within the seed. He wants to make sure that we also don't get a little bit confused about things. And just in case we want to argue about things, he goes on and he makes a statement just to reiterate the point. What he says is this, and the flesh profits nothing. What he's saying to us is this. The things of the spirit can never be realized through the flesh. Divine truths are never realized through our understanding. They have to be born in us. Somehow there's a strange thing about us as human beings where we believe that if I can get the word of God and if I can understand the word of God, then it'll translate into the fact that the blessing that's resident in that word will manifest itself. But it's not true. It's not true. There are very many Christians who spent a long time trying to understand the word of God and they probably have really good understanding about it. The problem with it is they don't understand why they've got no traction in their life because they're living from understanding and not life. There's nothing wrong with understanding unless it doesn't lead you to life. You search the scriptures for, for in them you think you have eternal life and these are those that testify of me and yet you will not come to me that you can have life. What he's saying is, I don't mind you understanding. Inherent within the word is a very concept and an idea, a thought that I'm trying to communicate with you. But the fact of the matter is, if you want to realize the fullness of what that is, you have to come to the spirit that gives life and allow him to take the very life that's on the inside of that and germinate it inside of your spirit. God is working from the inside outwards. That's his center of control. So not only is his word spirit and life, but the second thing that he wants us to understand is that the seed has to be planted in soil that is congenial to the seed. In other words, there has to be life both in the seed and in the soil. What he's saying is, if you want to take and you want to realize the things of the Spirit, if you want to realize what I've made available to you, you have to plant them in a spiritual soil that has spirit and life in it. The only place that you can do that is in your heart. That's why you can't take the things of God into your brain and try and understand them, because you don't have congenial soil. The seed is not going to burst open and germinate. It doesn't happen in your understanding. The only congenial soil, the only soil that you have is the soil of your heart. When the Holy Spirit came in and made you brand new and brought on the inside of you the very life of God, because your spirit man is alive and there is life in the soil, when he takes his word and he deposits his word that has life in it, in the soil that has life in it, all of a sudden things start to happen in my life. So the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, the spirit of life that's on the inside of me is looking to work. And the way that he's going to work through me is he's going to work through words he's going to work through words. The spirit on the inside of us, his intention is that we be one as the father is in the son and the son is in the father. If you have a look at John chapter 14, verse 20, I'm going to read it out of the New Living. It says, when I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I am in you. What? I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. What he's saying is this. The moment that you got born again, 
you got born again because of what Jesus did. In him, in him, all things are passed away and all things are made brand new. That's me in him. So his very life came and washed me brand new and he's alive on the inside of me. He placed on the inside of me the spirit of life, the spirit of truth. It's residence on the inside of me. But the thing is, he says, you are in me, but now I want to be in you. So Freud um, had his famous philosophy of the id, the ego, and the superego. Uh, I don't want to get into the, the weeds about this, but actually, in big picture, he was right. The thing is, he didn't have an understanding of spirit, and so he didn't have a context for it. But basically, what, what the whole idea be to be behind the id, the ego, and the superego is, is this, is your id is your flesh. Your, your id is that part of you. It's like, I have appetites and desires to do all of these things. I have a will to do all of this stuff. I find myself in places where I want to do all of this stuff. And then the ego is sitting here in the middle. And the ego is kind of looking at these different things because on the other side is the superego. And the superego is the conscience. It's saying, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. Oh, that's not right. Oh, this is not the, his was all in the context of understanding psychology because he didn't have a spiritual paradigm. But actually, he was right. Because spiritually, that's exactly the way that it works. You being a person, your mind is the person that de decides with regularity how it is that you want to live your life. That is the essence of your spirit. It gives you your personality. It gives you your sense of consciousness, my awareness of who I am. But because my mind sits in this place, what ends up happening is the moment I've got born again, the spirit of truth comes and the spirit of truth is on the inside of me. And so the spirit of truth is wanting to take the truth of who God is and introduce it to my life. So he's offering it to me. But at the same time as him offering that, I have my flesh and my desires and my will and my everything on this side sitting saying, well, why don't you go this way? The fact that I'm born again doesn't mean that I don't have choices anymore. I do have choices. The fact of the matter is, what do you want to choose? Because whatever you choose is going to define you. So when he says, I, you are in me, what he's saying is, as a born again person, the very, you, you find yourself in the life of God. You are alive in the life of God. That's who you are. But now the life of God wants to define you who you are. The life of God wants to define your choices. The life of God wants to move into that space where the essence of your being, that awareness of self that you have is completely defined by who he is. And the way that he's going to do that is by using words and spirit God's plan to change who we are and to influence who we are is very much determined by both of those things so when we get the word the spirit takes the life outside of uh, it, it takes the word and puts the word on the inside of who we are and gets the seed to germinate on the inside and as that begins to grow we begin to change but we have to partner with him we have to partner with him when the Bible was written, it was inspired by the Holy Ghost, by the Holy Spirit. And so what happened is the Spirit took the thoughts of God and he communicated those thoughts to men and he had them write them down. And so we have the Bible. The thing about it is because he authored them, 
He is the only one that can take those words and take the meaning out of them and give life to the meaning because he understands what that is. If we try and do it to the exclusion of him, we have words with no life. So the reason he's on the inside is because every time you get into the spirit and you be uh, into the word and you begin to open the word, what you do is you open an opportunity for the spirit of life on the inside of us to take those things, which you put in a nice little compartment, a nice little treasure chest. And every time you take a piece of word, you're taking a bit of treasure. And he says, oh, let me take that. I can tell you what, I'll take it and I'll illuminate it for you. And so I'll give you what it is to be a person of peace. And so it's not about understanding peace, it's about experiencing peace. It's about living from that. That's what he talks about when he's sitting saying, it's, we are in him and he is in us. So it introduces us to the idea that if you want to live by the Spirit, you can walk by the Spirit. What he's saying is, if we become overtly aware of the fact that the Holy Spirit is there to influence every decision of our life and how we live and what we do, we have the opportunity to allow him to take everything that is of God and to invest it in, in us. And as he gives, gives life to all of those different properties, all of those different promises, all of those attributes of who he is, what will end up happening is it begins to take on life inside of me. And when I live from that life, I walk by the spirit it's alive on the inside of me it doesn't do me any good to be born again and have the spirit of god living on the inside of me but he can't inform who i am because basically he's sitting there then with all the promises but i don't realize them so if you're looking for more of the spirit in your life get more word in your life if you're wanting to go deeper in the things of god Get more word in your life. If you're facing a circumstance or a challenge right at the moment and you want to know what God's will is and what God's purpose for that is, get more word in your life. If you're looking for power in your life and you're trying to get hold of God's influence in a, in a certain situation, get the word in your life. It was a funny thing, but about a week ago, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, read the Bible. I was what? I, I do I do studying and so I like I I'll go and look for specific topics about stuff and I'll read on specific topics because that's just what I'm searching at that time. And what he said to me was he said no, he said I want you to read the New Testament. And I was like, okay. And I wasn't sure why. And then when I was preparing for today, it was a funny thing because it resonated with me and he was like, I want you to get that word in you. I just want you to get the word in you. I don't want you to go and find out how it works, but you don't operate it. And it, it's, it, it was a funny thing, but he began to speak to me about being really cautious because it's, it's a subtle trap, but it is, let me see, I'll actually give you a verse. James 1 verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. What he was telling me was this, I'll show you how things function in the kingdom. I'll show you how they work. But just because you know how they work, don't think it's going to change your life. If you don't work it, it doesn't do anything for you. 
You can have full understanding as to what it's all about, but unless you take it and operate it, unless you take some word and put some word into it, you're not putting anything into the machinery. Nothing's getting churning. Nothing's happening. Everything's staying the same. I'm glad that you can look at the process and you understand how it works, but are you using it? Are you using it? And I've told you this before, but like Italy is one of my favorite places. I, my, my favorite city in the whole world is Rome. I love that city. It just, just because of all the history there. And one of the things that's so interesting is that you can wander around these old cobble streets and you'll find a little church. It looks very simple from the outside, but it's usually quite ornate. But the funny thing is you walk into these places and you realize that that church is over a couple of thousand years old. And through everything that Rome's been through over the thousands of years, the reason that most of those temples survived is because there was still a reverence for people when they would move into the city and they would, they were, the enemy came in and destroyed all kinds of other stuff. When people fled Rome and it was left to go to ruins, the people who were left there who went and got hold of the Colosseum and everything else and started to chip away at the marble and the statues and everything, they would do those kinds of things. But the funny thing about it is when you walk through the Roman ruins, you'll come to a little church and it'll be perfect. Because there was a society then that recognized this was for God. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. But there's a funny thing that happens because when you walk into, that, into a lot of those spaces, the, the first thing that I always feel is just a sense of reverence. There's a deep sense of reverence because you have a look at how beautiful and ornate so many of these structures are. And you realize it was built by people who had such a, 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 a reverence and a regard for, for God yeah. and for who he was. And they were trying to express it in their way. But you can sit in some of those places and you just, uh, you, you just, for me, I get overcome with a reverence. And it was a funny thing because when you start to think about the Holy Spirit inside of us, that same sense of reverence really should be something that is the disposition that we have towards him. Because we are a holy temple for him. Do we reverence the presence do we reverence the presence? There, there's a lot of preaching about faith, and I'm a big fan of faith, and I understand faith, and I, I have a lot of regard for faith, and I see where it works, and um, I, I love the very life of God that's birthed on the inside of us and how it takes on a life of its own. There's a lot of preaching about faith, and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's a lot of preaching about grace which is a wonderful thing as well, because all that Jesus has provided for us, not only in terms of what's available to us, but the fact that he actually paid the price so that we don't even have to do anything. He just wants, us to, he just wants to birth it inside of us. We begin to recognize the fact that grace is a wonderful thing. And we need to have more preaching about faith, uh, grace as well. The problem with it is, although we preach about a lot of these things, one thing that seems to be conspicuously absent is much preaching about holiness. It's not our preaching about holiness. And yet holiness is so important because 
Now we're getting down to the nitty-gritty of stuff. Oh, let me tell you something. Like, this is an interesting fact. I didn't realize this. Do you know that the Holy Spirit only took on his title after Jesus was resurrected? In the Old Testament, he was never referred to as the Holy, as, as the Holy Spirit. He was only ever referred to as the Spirit of God. Why did he come? Why did he become the Holy Spirit after Jesus' resurrection? Because of the work he had to do in you. The Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit cleanses us with the blood of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit makes us righteous so that the very presence of God can come and indwell us. The Holy Spirit does a job of cleaning my mind so that he can take the word of God and take the essence of who God is in his being and put it inside of me so that I can live from something completely different. The Holy Spirit is really, really important. Holiness is so important. God cannot reveal in the fullness that he wants who he is or reign in a space where he does not fully own the home. Unless the Holy Spirit takes full possession of the home and floods it, we don't experience the fullness of what God has for us. Let me give you a practical example of what I'm talking about. Ralph is talking about the fact that he worries. Huh? I said, not anymore. Yeah, he, he used to. He's a, he's a non-worrier now. <laughs> but he used to worry. What happens? What happens? So what ends up happening is God comes and God says, you know what? I want to take who I am and I want you to realize what it is. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. The problem with it is, although he has that, and although that revelation, although that truth is trying to take on life on the inside of him, what ends up happening is there's already something sitting on the throne called worry. And so the problem with it is, what he's trying to do in my life by birthing my God shall supply all my needs is being compromised because what's sitting on the throne is worry. And so the fullness of what God has for me and what's available to me never realizes itself unless you prepare to come to the place where you sit and say, Holy Spirit, you know what? I don't want the worry anymore. I'm inviting you, Holy Spirit, to come in and cleanse this place. I'm asking you to come in and wash away the worry because when the worry goes away, then all of a sudden I can be flooded by, should I tell you who God is? I don't know what... But you're going to find those little barnacles all over the different avenues and different areas of your life. Every situation, circumstance that you find yourself in, the invitation that the Holy Spirit extends to you is this. You don't have to stay as you were. But I can tell you now, if you will let me come in, I'll wash off those barnacles. I'll get rid of all of that stuff. I'll create clean and holy space so that everything that God has for you can be birthed in that place and I can realize it and I can begin to walk it out. Here's some practical stuff for you. God lives in his will. God lives in his will. My will is that I be the source of everything in your life. He's alive in that. The thing about it is this. It's only as we take his will and we walk that out and we allow it to begin to... um, 
blah, blah. As long as we take that out and we allow it to inform who we are, what ends up happening is that he takes up, he takes up residence in that habitation. God dwells in the obedience of his people. Not my will, but thine be done. In everything you do, you're going to find, you're going to have an opinion on it. In everything you do, you're going to have an idea about it. In everything you do, your flesh is going to rise up and it's going to sit and say, this is what I think, this is what I feel, this is what, everything. Why? Because I've got a will about all of this stuff. And what God says is, you know what? Not my will, but thine be done. When I'm prepared to sacrifice my will, when I'm prepared to sacrifice what I think things should be, when I'm prepared to sacrifice how I feel and I allow his will to come in, God comes in with his will and he lives in obedience. Not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. When God moves into that place, it's, it's when we allow his will to come in and we make space for it. And we allow the Holy Spirit to take that truth and to write that truth on the walls of our heart. That's when the glory of God comes in and floods the temple. Holiness is so important to us. So important. Because what God is doing is God's bringing us to a place where he's sitting saying, I want for you to experience all that I have for you. But your, will, your part of it is to be prepared to work with me. So as you journey through every single day, and as you walk through circumstances and situations, what you're going to find is the Holy Spirit is alive on the inside of you. And our responsibility is to be overtly aware of the fact that he's there, that he has an opinion, and that he's speaking to us all the time. When we honor the presence and his will, when we make room for it, when we become overtly aware that the spirit of truth is inside of me and is wanting to take the things of God and impart them to me, and I make provision for that, what ends up happening is I begin to walk into the truth of what God has for me. Listen to your conscience. There are so many people who spend so much time praying for a more definitive move of the Spirit in their life. There are lots of people who do a whole bunch of confessing about a whole bunch of stuff. And there's nothing wrong with their confession either. Fundamentally, it might be true. There are people who listen to a whole bunch of preaching about the importance of dependence on the Spirit. And that's absolutely right. But the fact of the matter is, unless we actually exercise it, and we truly do get to the place where we're completely dependent on the Holy Spirit to birth that life on the inside of us until we get sensitive to his promptings and what he's doing on the inside of us and begin to adjust our life and our will to accommodate his will. What ends up happening is nothing really changes in our life. The reason that I believe so many Christians' lives struggle from one degree of failure to the next is not because they don't know the things of God. It's not because they don't understand the things of God, but perhaps they're at a place where they don't recognize that God operates fundamentally through his spirit on the inside of us. And if we would stop for a minute and just become overtly sensitive and aware of the fact that he's going to speak to us through our conscience, every time you get a check in your conscience, stop for a minute. I can't get into this right now, but I'll talk about it in the, in the next few weeks, I think. 
What is your conscience? Never. Okay, now let me go another way. Just this is one point, and then I, then I really am finished. Um, but it is important. Jesus says, you know what? I'm no longer going to give you the written law to live by. But you know what I'm going to do? Instead of writing my laws on temples of stone, I'm going to write them on temples of flesh, tablets of flesh. What he's saying is I'm going to write them on your heart. If he writes them on your heart, how are you going to know his laws? I gave you a huge clue. Conscience. <laughs> Conscience. Conscience is your, your spirit man having a voice. You don't have to be born again for your spirit man to have a voice. It just means that your, your spirit ha- does not have the life of God on the inside of it. So you don't have the same sense of conviction. But any time you have a sense of, uh, of conviction from your born-again spirit, it's sitting saying to you, something written on the tablets of flesh are crying out saying, it's not right. It's not right. Listen to your conscience. Be quick to obey. If we start to develop a sensitivity to that voice, what ends up happening is, it, in a practical sense, it puts us at a place where we can begin to make changes and, and, and adjustments to our life. Places where we sit and say, hold on, am I missing it? Am I engaging my will or his will at this point? I don't know if this was helpful for you. but <laughs> Anyway, I try to make it as practical as I could. The Spirit is a living, dynamic, exciting essence of who God is living inside of you. It is the person of God. He loves you so very, very much that what he wants to do is he wants to take the fullness of who God is and he wants to impart it to you so that you're not only aware of it, but you get to live it and experience it every single day. He's looking for us to partner with him by recognizing the fact that not my will but thine be done. Leave ourselves open so that God can begin to show us some stuff. Sometimes I've begun to realize we it's just, this is just for me, but it's like, I, I don't pray for things until you get with him first. Because sometimes if you don't get with him, what ends up happening is you're praying for some stuff and God's like, well, what are you praying for? You're praying the wrong way. If I actually fixed you, you would see things completely differently and you wouldn't be praying that prayer. Let me just give you, just give me a few minutes. If you've got to go, I understand. So, there was a funny thing because it was like when, when I was really young and impressionable, I was probably about six or seven, and my mom and dad separated. And so what ended up was that there was a, a sense of abandonment that was established in me. I know, Ralph, I thought the same thing. And it, it, it's, 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 it was established in me and became part of my framework that I lived out of. And so the challenge for me was this. I didn't know it at the time, but I, like, I would get into a relationship and then I would be very disappointed because what ended up happening is they didn't give me the recognition or affirmation that I really needed. And so, you know, there were times where I would sit and say, okay, God, I just pray that you just change this. But the thing is, if I'd really got with God first, what he would have said to me was this, you know what, let me get your abandonment issue sorted out. Because when I clean that up, then you can see differently. And then all of a sudden, it's like, I don't need you anymore. I can pray for something for you as opposed to praying that God does something in you to give me what I need. 
I go outside of myself to try and find something in my environment, but God says, I'm supposed to be your source. When I see him as my source and I allow him to be my source, it changes things. And when it changes things on the inside of me, my perspectives shift and all of a sudden, my, the way I pray begins to change. So be careful about how yeah. you pray because my suggestion to you would be this. Get with him first because there may be some barnacles and some stuff sticking in there that you know what? You're just not seeing it quite the way you should. And you think you're praying for the right thing because it sounds so good. But the thing is, when he begins to change some stuff and he cleans the lens, suddenly you look and you go, what is I doing? That's the wrong prayer. And so I begin to change differently. And I begin to change and pray differently. He's very much alive and wants to be a part of your life. Invite him in. Make space for him. You can be a different person. You can be a person who knows what it is to walk by the Spirit. A life of freedom. A life of fullness. A life of joy. A life of peace. A life of happiness. But all of that only comes by allowing him to birth it on the inside of me. As long as you try and do it, you can be very frustrated. You'll understand a lot, but you won't have any life. I've got to give you homework. Do you remember years ago, they came out with those those little bracelet things. You know, what would Jesus do? Yeah. I think we should all get one for the week. <laughs> it doesn't, I'm not interested in what Jesus does, but I, what I, 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 you know what I'm saying. <laughs> no, 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 just listen. It's, that's not what the purpose that it's there for. It's, you, you need something as a continual reminder and every time you see it, every time you see it, put something around your neck, put, put something somewhere. Every time you see it, be like, Whoop, hold on, stop for a minute. Let me just think about the presence a minute. Yeah. So good. I, I'm, I'm encouraging you to cultivate a sensitivity and an awareness of his presence inside of us. I'm encouraging you to develop an awareness of every time you feel a sense of conviction about something to respond to it and recognizing that that may, may not come out of a, uh, an, an emptiness but it may well be a voice of his speaking to you. So there's your homework for the week. I promise you now, I promise you, if you'll do that, next Sunday you'll be a different person. Even if it's in little bits and pieces, I can promise you, you will have taken a few steps and be like, you know what? I didn't realize this, but look what he did. Father, I just want to thank you for every person that's here today. I want to thank you People who have the very life of God on the inside of them.
I want to thank you for what you're doing inside of them, Holy Spirit. I thank that. I thank you for who you are as your person. You've brought the essence of who God is. And as you've taken that and defined and given definition to who Adam was, as you introduced Jesus to who he was so he could reflect the Father, I want to thank you that you're taking us and you're working with us so that we can reflect Christ in us. I want to thank you, Holy Spirit, and we invite you into every corner and every nook and every cranny. We celebrate you, Holy Spirit. We invite you to to come into that space, to clean it up. I want to thank you for your presence here, that it doesn't just take us and cleanse us, but it begins to introduce, introduce us to the new life, the life that the Father has prepared for us. I bless you for all of your goodness. I bless you for your love. I thank you, Jesus, for what you've provided for us. I thank you for a week full of blessing and goodness. I thank you for a week full of opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.